Welcome to the Iceland with Kids podcast. We're sharing the best tips and tricks to help you plan an amazing vacation to Iceland. Your host is Eric Newman, the founder of Iceland with Kids. Eric offers custom vacation plans and personal tour guide services for families visiting Iceland. Check out all of the details at icelandwithkids.com. Here's Eric and the Iceland with Kids podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Iceland with Kids podcast. Uh, Today, I'm thrilled to share with you my interview with Judith Scott. Uh, Judith is a whale-watching tour guide in Iceland and actually some other countries as well, and she shares some tips and great information about whale-watching in Iceland. Um, She covers things that most people ask me, most tourists ask me when they're going on a whale-watching trip, that is, what should, should we wear? And how do we make sure we don't get seasick? And so Judith and I make sure to cover those topics. Um, we also covered some things that I didn't know. Um, for example, she taught me that in Iceland, um, more of the whale watching is on feeding grounds rather than breeding grounds. And the difference is on a feeding ground, you will see uh, more types of whales, whereas in a breeding ground, you might just see one. So in Iceland, you'll see lots of different types of whales. Um, not only is Judith a whale watching tour guide, but she's also a photographer. And so she has lots and lots of wonderful pictures of whales from her trips. Um, you can see those on her website, which is judith-scott.com. Scott is S-C-O-T-T. Um, I picked out some of my favorites. You can also see them and some more information about her and whale watching at icelandwithkids.com slash podcast. Uh, but without further ado, let's get on to my interview with Judith Scott. All right. Uh, so I want to welcome Judith Scott to the Iceland with Kids podcast. Judith, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, pleasure. Nice to be here. Let me start with just your background. Uh, You are both a a, a photographer and a whale-watching tour guide, which in my mind is really the perfect combination. You have some amazing pictures of of whales on your your website. How did you end up doing both of those, and and which came first? Uh, I think it's very generous and very kind of you to talk uh, or to call me a photographer. I am definitely a whale-watching guide, first and foremost. That's really what I get paid for. Uh, and I wanted to work with whales since I was about six years old. I saw a picture of one on TV. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 that was my dream job. And I was being very, very lucky to achieve it and to work all over the world. So, um, yeah, but the photography kind of came about because I was interested in art as well. I actually did my degree in art rather than science uh, and somewhat regretted that. But uh, so I've come to photography as a, a way to sub subsidize my income a little bit more um and yeah just because i'm out there all the time and lucky to see the amazing animals so photography is another way to try and capture them and inspire people yeah it seems great i know you're a whale watching guide in several different countries you do iceland for part of the year and then i guess some other countries for the rest of the year is that right uh yeah well (laughs) pre-covid i I had amorous life moving around the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've worked the last few years, I've basically been working most of the year in Iceland. That's my main job. But I've also been working in South Africa with the southern right whales in Norway, where there's killer whales and humpbacks, and uh, also an amazing job working in the Mexican lagoons with the gray whales that come up to the boats. So uh, that's been my sort of trip around the world the last few years. Oh, wow. It sounds amazing. Now, you mentioned a couple of different types of whales you see in other countries. So let's, I guess, focus just on Iceland, because that's what my audience is interested in. Um, you know, what kind of whales do you typically see in Iceland? And are those sort of unique that you don't maybe see in other countries? Or are those whales you can see elsewhere as well? Uh, a bit of 
both uh, mostly i think ones that you can see elsewhere but what uh we really have in iceland is is variety because it's a feeding ground uh south africa and uh mexico i mentioned a breeding ground so you tend to just have one species there uh iceland is a breeding ground so i mean sorry a feeding ground okay. so get lots of variety the animals are here to feed uh not to breed generally uh, that's particularly true of the baleen whales the filter feeding whales so in the south uh you generally have minke whales and dolphins there are humpbacks all around Iceland, but mostly up in the north and then where i work in snifelsnes peninsula which is west iceland uh, the town of Olusvik. We're very lucky. We have two of the big species of toothed whales. So in spring and early summer, we get sperm whales and also killer whales or orcas. So lots of variety. Then you also get white-beaked dolphins all over Iceland. And they're a species that's pretty hard to see anywhere else in the world. Iceland really is one of the best places for them. Okay, very cool. Um, I never thought of that. Let me actually dig in, into that a little bit more. Um, when I'm on a whale watching trip in Iceland, and I've been on several, um, usually, you know, there's a spotter who's they're sometimes looking for birds, for example, that they're looking for where fish are. And that's because you said that in Iceland, these are feeding grounds, right? And so we're looking for fish and where there are fish, there are probably whales. But if that's not true in other countries. If it's a breeding ground, as you said, they're going to look for something different to find the whales, right? They're just going to go to where those breeding grounds are. That's... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's one of the things that I try to point out to people often when they're whale watching because they don't really think about it. In a breeding ground, you tend to have one species, but lots of them together because they're there to socialize and they're generally not eating. This is really the baleen whales we're talking about, the filter feeding whales. The tooth whales don't really have feeding grounds and breeding grounds. They're different. But I mean, it is a lot the baleen whales that we're whale watching but yeah with the feeding ground obviously the whales are there for food so i think that can mean it's a little bit more difficult sometimes to find the whales i think feeding grounds can be um very exciting because you sometimes don't know what you're going to see because different species move in and out depending on the food availability and what kind of food it is and that's really very different to working on a breeding ground where most of the time you kind of know you're just going to see that one species. Huh, that's interesting. I know you mentioned the the orca whales, the killer whales. I think a lot of people know from SeaWorld and other places, those sort of black and white whales. Um, now, the area you're in in West Iceland, is that the only place in Iceland to really see those? Do you know? It's the main place to see them. They are occasionally seen uh, in Reykjavik. They are occasionally seen in Husavik as well. I think once or twice in Akureyri. But uh, yeah, really, we are the main whale watch for both sperm whales and killer whales. But it is a relatively short season. Most of the time we're seeing them sort of February, March till about early June. So it's not uh, definitely not year round. But yeah, we are Lauki Tours in Snifelsness is the only whale watch that sees both killer whales and sperm whales regularly. Oh, wow. I think, I guess, the humpback whale is the one that I sort of picture seeing as being pretty common in Iceland that you can sort of see everywhere. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. Uh, Reykjavik actually uh, used to be, well, uh, the, the minke whales used to be the main species all around Iceland, and humpback whale numbers are definitely increasing all over the world. And so... They are being seen more and more and definitely in the north. All across the north of Iceland um, is predominantly humpback whale watching. So where I work is Holubavik in the West Fjords, but also you've got Isafjörda, Akureyri. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Husavik is the famous one. Sure. But there's also, what are the other ones? There's Dalvik and Hoeganes. I better mention them all. <laughs> those are the main 
places in the north for whale watching, and those are predominantly humpbacks. And Reykjavik has actually been seeing more and more humpbacks the last couple of years, but they are mostly minke whales. Okay, very cool. Thank you. Now, you've given, I don't know how many whale watching tours, but dozens, <laughs> hundreds, a lot of them. Um, I thousands. Love, <laughs> thousands, wow. I'd love to... Yeah, I'm on about 4,000, I think. <laughs> wow, 4,000? That's yeah. amazing. My goodness. I wonder how many whales you've seen total. <laughs> how many tens of thousands? Well, I guess, actually, let me ask you, because you, you, you identify them, right? You can look at the fluke of the whale and maybe know that you've seen this whale in the past, right? I guess with 4,000 visits, you may know and recognize and say, aha, that's this particular whale, right? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think that's what sometimes, you know, people wonder how we sort of stay excited and interested when you do the same you know, the same tour over and over again. And of course, it's nature. You never know what you're going to see. And that's what makes it so exciting. But of course, a lot of the time, you know, whales are just doing their own thing. They're not always doing the spectacular behavior. But the thing that makes it so interesting when you're working there is you do get to know the individuals. So with the humpbacks, we use the tails. They have the black and white patterns on the tails. The killer whales, the orcas, we see in snifelessness, we use the dorsal fin. Uh, the sperm whales, we use the tails, so different parts of the animal. And yeah, um, I my job particularly is Holmovic. I'm the only guide pretty much who's ever worked here because uh, we've only been running the whale watch here for three seasons. Uh, 2020 got cancelled. Um, and yeah, so I was the first person really to, to photograph the whales here and learn about the individuals. And, you know, that's so exciting. It's yeah. a thrill. That, that's really fantastic. That's great. So I'd love to actually pick your brain for a few minutes here. And you've been on 4,000 plus whale watching trips. I'd love to hear some uh, some of the typical mistakes that you see tourists making. So my listeners who are planning to go on trips, hopefully in summer of 2021, we'll cross our fingers and hope things work I out there. So. Uh, what are some uh, mistakes? What are some things people should watch out for, should keep in mind when they're planning to go on a trip? Oh, my goodness. Uh, in Iceland, it is most definitely number one, I think, is the weather. Uh, Iceland, they say, Iceland Air says that this is the windiest country on earth that's inhabited. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's what Iceland Air says. Uh, it's definitely windy here. And so, you know, uh, I, I don't want to put anyone off going on the water, but, you know, seasickness and waves are a thing. And so, you know, you need to be a bit prepared for that. Uh, some parts of Iceland are worse than others, and that's something that in Holmovic we're so lucky with is that we don't generally get big waves. But uh, yeah, don't look at the sky, look at the wind. That's the thing that makes the waves. The sunshine or the clouds don't really matter. Right. And then, of course, yeah, dressing appropriately is, uh, you know, hopefully most people who come to Iceland are, bring decent clothing. I'm sure your listeners hopefully are aware of that. But even in summer, the temperature on the water is cold. And so you, most companies do give overalls to keep you a bit warmer. They're not completely waterproof. Sometimes the people think they are, but you know, they just keep you a bit warm and dry, but you have to be prepared with clothing. High heels, not generally a good <laughs> Right. Um, do they have those overalls for younger kids as well? Is there sort of a minimum age that, that the overalls fit or if they're bringing a five-year-old. Uh, yeah, uh, in, in Snifelsness, in Olesvik, we have them for even for babies, although most people have, you know, have dressed their babies up really warm. But no, we have suits for all ages um, and from kids, babies up to adults. Uh, Holmovic uh, Lauki Tours was actually going to get overalls for this last summer, for 2020, uh, because 
We didn't have the facilities to be able to do them before, but we're hoping to be able to offer overalls here as well. But our trips out of Holmavik are only two hours. They're much shorter than other places because often you can see the whales before you even get on the boat. They're so close to land here. So we didn't have suits before, but I've, I'm pretty sure that nearly all the companies in Iceland offer the overalls and they're definitely a good idea. Right. Now the overalls are good, but th they aren't sort of warm enough for everything, right? So that's going to give you maybe the equivalent of a couple of nice thick layers, but you still can't show up in a t-shirt and jeans on a, on a cold day. You need to have some wool, some several layers underneath. The overalls just sort of add yeah. a benefit, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, they're, they're just, they add that little bit extra warmth because you're out on the water. But yeah, I mean, hats and scarves and gloves, even in summer, the average temperature the last couple of summers up here in the Westfields in the summer has, has sometimes just been eight to 10 degrees. That's Celsius. That's not Fahrenheit <laughs> right. for your listeners. Mid 40s, probably uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's chilly. You definitely need to dress well. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that the hats and, and gloves, especially because the overalls don't give you any benefit there. And I think one thing you mentioned that I just want to highlight, too, is that not only is it windy, but also once you're out on the ocean, I think it gets windier, right? If you're on land, there can be sort of buildings or mountains that are blocking you. Once you're on the ocean, it's wide open. There's nothing blocking the wind besides you and your overalls. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And Iceland, I think, is a is an amazing example of a place where you really get uh, the, the kind of catabatic winds that they talk about in Antarctica. But obviously, the mountain, it's so mountainous that you can be one side of a mountain and be totally protected from the wind and think there's almost nothing. And then you go around a corner and it's it's blowing an absolute gale. So, uh, yeah, out on the ocean, you, you immediately drop a few degrees temperature because there is no protection from the elements. So, yeah, warmth is definitely something to be aware of. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, you mentioned seasickness uh, a, a, a little bit, that the wind not only causes you to be cold, but also causes waves. Um, and actually, let me just start with, with Holmavik. You mentioned Holm Holmavik a couple of times. That's out in the West Fjords, and most tourists don't make it to the West Fjords. But if they do make it to the town of, of Holmavik, that has a couple of other interesting things. That has the Icelandic Museum of Witchcraft and Sorcery, right, as well. Um, it does, yeah. There's also a sheep farming uh, yeah, camp out there. That I really love. Yeah, there's a cool little sheep. I mean, they're small museums, but yeah, Iceland is wonderful for these little funky museums. Right. And yeah, the Wolf Museum is actually in Holomavik. The Sheep Museum is nearby. And uh, I've also been seeing on your website that you obviously talk a lot about puffins. Uh, and then the next town over from Holomavik, which is a town called Drangsnes, has... I'm maybe slightly biased, but I think one of the best puffin tours in Iceland because, like you say, not that many people get up here to the West Fjords. And if you want it to be a little bit more away from the crowds, uh, we haven't had any crowds last year, but <laughs> hopefully people will start coming back. Um, and the puffin season is very short, but from Drangsnes, which is literally a tiny little town, there's a little boat that takes you over to an island called Grimsey. Unfortunately, it has shares the same name as the island Grimsey up in the north, and people get very confused between the two. But this is a, a small uninhabited island that it has in the region of 60,000 puffins on it in the summertime. And the tour goes over on a little boat. It's just a kilometer and a half over to the island. So it takes 10 minutes, uh, no problem with seasickness. And it's one of the few tours in Iceland where you can actually climb on the island and walk around with the puffins. Sometimes that tour has four, four to six people on it. And you're talking about 60,000 puffins. It's it's yeah astonishing, and that's 
that's what I think is so special about our whale watch. There have been tours where in Holmavik we have had more whales than passengers, which <laughs> great for the company. Yet we hope to build it a little more. But the point is, uh, it is that little bit off the beaten track. And at the moment, it's not very touristy. So it's a much more close to nature experience. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That's a that's a, both a great ratio of puffins to people and also a ratio of whales to people. Um, and one thing yeah. I saw on 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 uh, the Lackey Tours Facebook page is that they claim that no one's ever gotten seasick on that tour from Holmavik. Is that accurate? Yes, that's my fame, claim to fame that I often tout. You know what? We've had a couple of people feel it slightly. I don't want to go into too much detail here. But no, yeah, nobody has ever actually been seasick on that whale watch in Holmavik. Uh, if you look where Holmavik is on a map, your listeners have a look, you'll see that it's this very kind of crazy shaped fjord. Uh, very, very sheltered. And basically, because of that, we get no ocean swell. And it's often the swell that makes people seasick. So, you know, of course, we get a little bit of wave chop when the wind blows, but it's we don't get those rolling ocean swells at all in here. And that, yeah, we haven't had touch wood. We haven't had any properly seasick on that whale watch in the last three summers that we've been doing it. Right. That's great. Um, so if somebody isn't in, 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 in on that whale watching trip, the home, home of Equan one that doesn't guarantee no seasickness, but certainly seems like it's much more likely that you'll have a, a smooth trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think for, I mean, you're obviously your listeners are interested in children and I do understand that it is a little bit out of the way, but uh, it, I mean, in that respect, it's fantastic for children because it's humpback whales, which are quite easy to watch. They tend to stay at the surface a while, you know, kids, can actually focus and see them. It's hard for kids to see minke whales sometimes. They're so fast. They come up really quick. But yeah, not having to battle with seasick children, I think Holmovic could be yeah, really a fantastic place for families to go whale watching. Now, if somebody doesn't choose that or can't make it up to the to the West Fjords for, for their yeah, tour. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's good. No, the home of Vic is great. I want to try that. I, I think I'm, I recommend that in my book as well. It's a great option if you're making it up to the West Fjords. But since most people don't, um, what do you think works as far as seasickness? Is it medicine? Is it sea bands? Is it these, these sort of bands that send electric current into your wrist? I have a couple of those that I've tried out. Relief bands, I think oh, they're goodness. called. Yeah, that's a hard question. I do think to a certain extent is pick your weather and don't try not to worry about it and talk yourself into it too much. People who come on who are just so convinced they're going to get seasick usually do. And obviously, whatever works for you, I think medicine is probably the best option. I have I worked on a research boat and I got very, very seasick on that. So I know how seasickness feels. And I must admit, I tried everything and nothing worked for me on that particular boat. But um, whatever works for you, I, I think partly it's a mind over matter as well. And if you're just doing something to try and prevent worrying about getting sick, I think that can really, to a certain extent, that can really help. Okay. Um Great. Thank you. What do you think people should look for when they're choosing a, a, a whale watching company? So sometimes they can just choose based on whatever city they happen to be in. But if they have a choice of companies somewhere, what are some things to maybe keep in mind? Have any tips? Um, I, I think most of the companies are signed up here to Ice Whale. Ice Whale is the organization run by the whale watching companies in Iceland. And part of uh, you know, I think, I mean, this goes not just for Iceland, but anywhere around the world, you know, whale watches that 
have some kind of focus on responsibility and their approach to the whales and talk about that on their website, you know, they're brave enough to talk about what you should and shouldn't do around whales, I think will probably end up usually, hopefully abiding by those rules and regulations. Here in Iceland, sadly, we have no regulation on the whale watching at all. Uh, unfortunately, as we all know, sadly, Iceland is still a whaling nation. We are getting hopefully closer and closer to ending that. But the whale watching companies, most of them are a member of an organization called Icewell, which they actually run, and they set up some voluntary guidelines as to how you should responsibly approach the whales. So I think looking out for those kind of things, you know, particularly on websites, can give you an idea of, of you know, the, the ethics of the company. And then for me personally, as our guide, I think, uh, you know, education, if they also have a focus on education, so not just taking people out to see the whales, but but have experienced guides on board that, you know, are helping out with science, at least who can give you some kind of biology. You're not just ticking a box and seeing a whale, but you're actually learning something. Because whatever we think, even if we approach whales responsibly, we are still in their environment. You know, the sound of the boat will slightly affect them, even if you're doing it responsibly. So I think the balance to that is hopefully letting people go home with some kind of understanding for whales, their future, the environment, conservation. And that's the kind of balance, I think, that whale watching, you know, good whale watching will provide for people. Okay, great. Um, you mentioned that the whales are, I guess, at least somewhat bothered by these boat, I guess, the noises. Is that right? Um, and that's yeah. question one. And then, so I guess that there, there are these fast moving rib boats, I think they're called RIB, um, that sometimes yeah. offer these sort of the, the, these express tours. Are those sort of not a good idea? Do you recommend people go on the, the slower moving boats to maybe have less of an impact on the whales? Oh, I personally think so. I know some people love rib boats and and, you know, of course, there's nothing about a rib boat that says it has to be driven irresponsibly. You can drive rib boats slowly, but the problem is rib boats are mostly sold as fast trips. Uh, with, and, and yes, the, the, the faster you're going under the water, I, I think whales don't particularly react to what they see. They react to sound. And the faster you go, the more sound you are making underwater. So rib boats, if you think about it, go really fast and they only take a small number of people. So you've got a lot of sound and with very few passengers. A larger boat, of course, maybe makes a slightly louder sound, but they tend to go slower which is quieter. And also you've got a, you know, a, usually more people on board. So the kind of sound ratio per passenger is generally lower. I, I hate to say it because I don't want to do anyone down who's out on the rib boats. You can do it responsibly, but I, I think too many rib boats can be a problem. And often I know the rib boats look for the big boats they zoom out, they watch the whales a bit around the big boats and then they zoom back to get the next people because they can't find the whales as easier as the easily as the big boats as well. So they tend to kind of follow the big boats, which I know drives the big boats nuts. <laughs> to say one other quick thing, I forgot in the last question. I am very biased, but I'm very privileged in the places that I work in Iceland. There is only one whale watching boat. And I do completely understand that not everybody's going to be able to go to those places, but it's worth looking how many boats are on the water because there are certain places in the world. And certainly Iceland has a couple of towns where there's just so many boats that you've sometimes got three, four, five, six. I've heard 
up to seven boats watching one group of whales in Iceland. And that's just not good for the whales. Okay. So trying to get a little bit more out there somewhere maybe that's not necessarily as famous can actually be better because there's just less tourists and less boat traffic. Maybe a good reason to head out west for your whale watching instead of heading north well, or yeah. southwest. I am a bit biased, but there are other little towns in the north as well. I mean, we know the famous ones. I don't want to name names because I don't want to. But, uh, you know, that even up in the north, near the famous place, there are other places that have smaller companies, you know, less boats around the whales. You know, that's definitely better, I think, for the people, but also better for the whales too. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in Iceland is that, you know, just because it's a smaller tour company, for the most part, if you look online and you see good ratings, just because they aren't big and famous, usually the the, the quality of tours in Iceland is excellent across the board, right? You're, you're going to find quality and safety, you know, 99% of the time. So if you find a small company you've never heard of, and they're the only people in town, they have good ratings online, you're going to be able to trust them and have a safe and good experience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the regulation, you know, in a country like Iceland, the regulation for any boat company to put boats on the water is very, very strong. So safety, I think, at least is something that people shouldn't be too concerned about here. There aren't really rogue operators in that respect at all. Right, right. Uh, Judith, thank you so much. Is there anything else that I I missed that you want to (laughs) share? I don't think so. I hope that that was interesting and helpful to people. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you online? I mentioned you have some amazing photographs of whales that people can, can see on your website. Can you tell us where that is? Oh, thank you very much. Well, I, my little website, I don't do a lot on it, but it is uh, scott.com. But uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Judith Scott Photography. And yeah, I, I like sharing my pictures. It's no point taking pictures if you don't get anyone to look at them. So <laughs> it's nice, hopefully, to teach people a bit about the whales, even when we're not on the water. Right, yeah, and people can follow your page. They can follow the the whale watching tour company, which is uh, uh, Lucky Tours, uh, L A K I. There's a little accent over the A. Yeah, and they actually publish many of your pictures as well. That's sort of where I first found you. Um, yeah, and as you said, you know, people might as well see your pictures. Um, they can buy the pictures from you as well if somebody feels so inclined. Maybe if they didn't get to take a whale watching trip and didn't give you an opportunity to run a whale watching tour, they can maybe get one of your pictures as not quite the next best thing, but something of benefit, right? Yeah, true. People do that. Yeah, people do that quite often when uh, if they've been on a tour and, you know, of course, we're lucky to have some nice cameras and vaguely know what we're doing with the, with the animals. Uh, and I think that's something that you mentioned before we chatted and recorded is that you know just just taking photos with your iphone much as they're brilliant nowadays you don't really get the whole experience so one of the things that we like to do i think a lot of us as guides is that we take photos because we're taking id shots but then those photos can be available to people afterwards free on social media and low resolution but then some of us will sell them high resolution if people want them from their tour but it does mean that you if you're just on one whale watch you can hopefully enjoy the experience and definitely put your phone or your camera down occasionally and just look at that animal. Because if you just look at them through a phone, you just do not get the impression of how big they are. 
Right. To see it with your own eyes, not not through a lens, right? It makes a big difference. You're, you're there to yeah, see it with your own eyes. <laughs> yeah, we all want to take photos, of, you know, nowadays. That's what we do. But yeah, a bit of both is definitely a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, Judith, thank you so much. I think you offered some great tips for people visiting Iceland this summer or next summer. And hopefully they'll choose a, a better whale watching experience because of your tips. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to chat. Thanks. Take care. All right, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Judith Scott. I think she shared some great information. I know I learned several things about whale watching in Iceland. Uh, for more information about her, as she said, you can find her at judith-scott.com, S-C-O-T-T. If you want to see some of my favorite pictures of hers, you can go to icelandwithkids.com slash podcast. You can also go there if you need help planning your Iceland vacation. Hopefully some of you will be able to get to Iceland in 2021. And we're here to help you plan your trip. So head to icelandwithkids.com slash podcast, sign up, and we'll give you lots of tips and tricks and more information about planning your Iceland vacation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Iceland with Kids podcast. For more information, check out our website at icelandwithkids.com. Or if you want help planning your Iceland vacation, or even having me serve as your personal guide in Iceland, just send me an email, eric at icelandwithkids.com. Thanks for listening.